Welcome everybody to Focus Part 2 series with Mr. Sims. And today we're going to talk about why he, why he chose to focus, put his focus on small businesses and solopreneurs versus the, the larger corporations, larger entrepreneurs that he worked with in the past, and then get into his speakeasy events. If you haven't attended one or if you hadn't heard about it, I... I um, invite you to go check those out because what I have heard is that there is so much value in it. And I am, my goal is to one day attend one. And I think the San Diego one is going to be it. I'm just going to put that into the universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, yeah, sir. So could you, could you tell us why, why you chose to, to work with the smaller, smaller businesses? So <laughs> as you are well, <coughs> excuse me, as you are well, I've worked for, very, very, very successful entrepreneurs that are very, very wealthy. Um, I noticed what they were doing was simplification. Every major entrepreneur I've ever worked with, they lean into failures and they simplify a process. Those are the two core things that they actually do. Um, when I decided to kind of like move away from uh, being Mr. Fix-It and the Mr. Go-To guy, and really when the book came out, I was getting a lot of startup companies, young entrepreneurs, small businesses contacting me going, hey, could you help me? I know you don't work at this level. I know you don't work for, you know, and I'm using air quotes here, smaller budget people and stuff like that. But something happened. I noticed that they move faster, they're more hungry, and my goal is to get them to be the big entrepreneurs. But every big entrepreneur started small. I remember going to Silicon Valley one day and um, seeing the original PayPal office. And uh, it was literally above a restaurant. That's where the largest disruptor of banking organization started from. So we all have to start small. I will bluntly say that the gratification I got out of helping young entrepreneurs and helping small businesses, whether it be through Sims Distillery or through my personal one-on-one -on -one coaching, I'm not just helping them. I'm now helping their family. I'm helping them with private education for their kids. I'm helping their staff. I'm helping their staff get better homes, more security. So the gratification from helping a small company become streamlined, stable, and more impactful, personally, I get way, way, way more gratification out of it. They're also able to turn quicker. I've worked with some of the largest organizations in the planet. And we can instigate a small maneuver, and it'll take three months once it's gone through the channels. Um, it, it's like trying to change course for a big ship versus a, a canoe. You can do things much more agile, and especially, let's be blunt, over the impact we've had with COVID, the word that we have had drilled into us, although we've hated it, is pivot. We've had to go, okay, stop. Even if what you're doing works, but the clientele is no longer there, like hotels. The Four Seasons, fantastic hotel, but they can't sell a room if no one's allowed to travel. So there comes to a point where companies have to go, okay, not doing that, need to go down. They need to be able to pivot quickly. Smaller entrepreneurs can pivot quicker, and the people that I work with, they're hungry to do so. No, that's really great. And I, I know everyone who has worked with you thanks you for giving them the opportunity to excel. What is the length of time that these uh, entrepreneurs work with you? How long does it usually take? I know it varies, but what was? 
So I have a, I have, uh, I have the Speakeasy coaching platform. It's under uh, stevedsims.com. Need a coach, um, and I believe I have a slightly different system. Okay, I'm sure everyone does, but one of the biggest things that I'm very different at is I have no contract, and that really is different and also alienates a lot of other coaches because a lot of other coaches are like, well, I need a minimum of three months or I need a minimum six months to 12 months. No, I'm there to be an asset, not an invoice. So the second that we stop disrupting and having you grow, you stop. Now, I've had people come to me going, hey, I've got a product coming out in three months' time. I need to get the launch set up. I need to be on podcasts. I need a media kit. I need a brand. I need an attitude. Help me streamline it. Or I'm working on this, uh, whatever it is, a book or a project, and I need someone to help me with my mindset. But it's going to be for like three to six months. Can you work with me? So I work with people based on their problems, okay? Mm -hmm. Not a 12-step program that I have. I do not have that. So I work on the person's problem. I think my shortest term has been three months, uh, and it was the example that I gave that a client was getting ready to launch and we did that, and he launched, and he was very, very happy with it. And then I've had clients that I've gone, hey, we're only going to need like three to six months to get this done, and they've gone, great. 18 months, two years later, they're still with me. Because the second you start getting something, you start moving into another arena, or you get different kind of levels of stress, or there's different kind of mindset that's required. So the bottom line of it is, not one single client I have has a contract. The second they want to stop on the dime, hey, Steve, I want to stop at the end of the month. Done. Okay. No qualm, no, no issue, no fight. But that's how I work. That incentivizes me to make sure we're focused on the client, not on the contract. I don't want to be sitting there going, well, I'm going to eke this intelligence out for the next six months. No, I'd love to work with you for a month and for you to be the greatest you could ever be. The fact is, it won't happen that way. But I, as long as you're seeing growth, productivity, and impact, keep me around. The, the time that you don't need me, hey, let's part ways and go forth. No, that's great. And doesn't it make you feel kind of good when they don't need you anymore then? Because yes. they have gotten yeah. where they wanted to be. Yeah, it does. It does. And what you also find is that you get – because I, I, you know, I have three coaches. Okay, I believe everybody needs a coach. Okay, you, you, you can't look at a picture when you're in the frame. We all know all these different kind of metaphors, so I'm not going to repeat all those. But I'll have a client that I'm working to get to A to B. And along getting to A to B, B now suddenly provides them with different opportunities. Different opportunities require a different mindset, require different attitudes, require a different strategy and structure. Okay, so I'll, I'll get them from A to B. And then all of a sudden, they'll go, okay, we're done. And I'll be like, hey, great. And then they'll come back to me two months later, and I go, hey, Steve, I've now got this and this. And they'll go, okay, now we need to get you from C to E. You know, so let's focus on that. So there's been times, many times, where clients have gone, I think I'm good now. And I've gone, great, run forth, be powerful, create impact. And they'll go forth. And then I'll hear from them from like, you know, one to three months later going, uh, can we get you back in the mix? And I'll be like, I'm happy to be there. <laughs> No, that's great. No, that's really good. So tell us about the Speakeasy events. How long have you been hosting those and what do we need to know about that? 
All right. So um, I started running those two and a half years ago because I was starting to get a little bit aggravated with events. Okay. There's some brilliant events out there. So for any of the events I've attended and for my friends that throw events, hey, I'm not throwing stones at you guys. You do phenomenal events. You know who you are. But I never really liked the fact that it's a case of, hey, you turn up at the Marriott Convention Center at nine o'clock and speaker number one comes on at 930. Speaker number two comes at 11.30. Then you have a break. It was very, very organized. And there's never, ever been an event where you've looked at the roster of speakers and gone, they all have something for me. You know, you've never been to an event where they, they can all impact you. So I decided, wouldn't it be good? And it was just a qualm. It was just a, a quip in my head. I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool? If before I went to the event, someone actually took the time to ask me what the problem is. Now, you can't do this when you're running an event for 200 to 20,000 people. That makes sense. So I thought to myself, well, okay, what if I just do it to 40 people? A maximum of 40 people, but I'm not going to tell you who's speaking. I'm not going to tell you even the location other than the city. As you know, it's in San Diego in July, 19th and 20th. Shallow plug there. Um, <laughs> but that's as much information as you'll find on the website. But this is what happens. People register, and then we contact you. Then the fun begins. And we literally say to you, what's your problem? What's your issue? Now, armed with that knowledge, I can make sure the people that come into the room are there to help you. See, my core belief is I've reverse engineered a mastermind. I find out your problem. And then I bring the experts in to help you with it. And I have, I like in, Sand, in uh, Scottsdale, we had Cameron Harold that focused on building a culture within your company. We had Mark Victor Hansen and Sharon Lecter on how to distribute a book and grow a franchisable brand like the Chicken Soup for the Soul series did. I had Tucker Max on how to write a book. I had Jason Campbell on how to escape the monotony of the day-to-day without leaving your desk. And he spoke to us about meditation. He was actually one of the most impactful, which surprised me. He was really good. We had Joel Weldon on how to deliver a speech, and we had Michael Burnoff. So we had these people come in, and people were coming up to me going, it was like he was speaking to me. And they had kind of forgotten that they told me what the problem is. <laughs> and now they were having a world-class expert that are on stages for fifty dollars to $75,000 a presentation not just presenting to you, but actually talking with you. And that's one of the cores. Every single one of my teachers that come along to my event, not only do I interview and cherry pick everyone that applies to come in, and I will say, do you know, you know, this may not be the event for you. Let me keep you posted, and I will refund your money, and we'll put you on a, uh, on a, like a list ready for the next event to find out if you've got a problem. Mm. But I'll say to my teachers, I also ch uh, cherry pick the teachers. And I say to the teachers, when you come along, if someone raises their hand during your presentation, you've got to be prepared to answer that question. You've got to be prepared to interact with our people. You've got to be prepared to have a conversation and willing to help my attendees. Okay. And I've had a couple of presenters go, well, I, I don't like to do that, Steve. I'll do an hour's presentation. I'm like, I'm sorry, you're not the right person for us then. So I cherry pick the community and I cherry pick the teachers. And it's been two and a half years of absolute fun, full of, as I say, a maximum of 40 people that quite simply have no idea who's going to show up. 
And that's the exciting bit. They turn up with this anticipation. Who's going to be there? Who's going to be there? You don't know, but I guarantee you they're going to answer your problems. I think that's so awesome that you, your process of doing that, because there are not a lot of events out there who focus on individual people's problems. They just hey, come here. Let's do this. Everybody's going to gather around, but you actually take the time to see if it's the right fit. And then along with the, the speakers, I think that's, I've never heard of that. I think that's really, really great. And I can't it, wait. Go ahead. It is, it, it is great, but it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird that it's novel, isn't it? Hmm. Because when you explain it, doesn't it make sense? It, you know, I think it, it, <laughs> it's just so simple that so many people are focused on filling a room of 200 people. I will never do one of those things. I want to fill. And also what I've been very focused on is I've been focused on building up a family because let's be blunt. You're a dysfunctional misfit. You know, you step out amongst the people around you and you don't quite fit in. You know, you, you have these dreams, you have these aspirations, you have these, this thought process. And when you go down to the pub with your mates or you're having a coffee with them, you can't fully unload, oh, I'm going to write a book. And then I'm thinking of doing like a, this online course. And then I'm thinking of doing these retreats where I help it. Because all your friends are going to look at you like you're nuts. Okay. <laughs> but to you, that's how you think. So I want to put you in a room where you suddenly find out that you weren't meant to fit in. You know, you were meant to stand out. You were meant to lead. You were meant to disrupt. Can you imagine, can you imagine if, if Bill Gates or Elon Musk had gone to a coffee bar with one of these people and he had listened to them? Can you imagine if this guy had gone, you want to do what to the banking world? You're going to take on the biggest bank. You're a nutter. Can you imagine what would have happened if Elon Musk had gone, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'll go back to just computer coding. Yeah. What would we have lost? We'd have no Tesla cars. We'd have no gigafactories building reusable batteries. We'd have no space exploration. We'd have none of this. We'd have had no PayPal, no Solar City. We'd have had none of that innovation. You're right. That would be terrible. So what I try to do is I've built up, I've built up Hogwarts for the magicians and the mystical and the fantastical to come along and have permission to be disruptive. And that's one of the greatest things. I'll tell you a quick story. My last, uh, my last event in Scottsdale, there was a gentleman that couldn't make it. Um, he was, he'd already paid uh, and we charged two grand. So let's be blunt. It ain't cheap. I'm aware of that. It ain't cheap. My goal is to make sure that you leave at the end of two days feeling as though you ripped me off. That's what I want. Okay. And that's what I'll give you. But this guy contacted us, and it was like 11 o'clock in the morning, day one. And he's nearly halfway through day one, and he's not even there. And he contacted us because his plane had been held, been held up because of this adverse snow conditions that were rolling through America. And I said to him, I said, dude, don't, don't stress. Now, that, this one was his fifth speakeasy that, had been, that he'd been to, Okay. <sighs> So he'd said to me, uh, I said to him, don't stress, don't stress. You're, you're a repeat offender. You come along a lot. Don't worry about it. I'll be happy to move your space over to San Diego and you can come. To and he said to me on the phone, he said, oh, I'm coming to San Diego, but I have to be in Scottsdale. I'm going to be there mid-afternoon. 
And I said, you're going to lose pretty much an entire day. Are you okay with that? And he said, I need to come home. Even if it's just for a short while, I need to be home with my family. Oh, man. Because he realized that these people were his support system. They were, these were people that looked at him as normal because we all look at things differently and we stand out. And when we're in that kind of group, we're given permission to do things differently. And that's what he needed. He needed his fix. He needed his shot. He needed to realize that he could hang around with people. And I've seen people come to my events as timid, kind of, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And I've seen them grow. And I've seen them develop. And I've seen them become powerful and strong and impactful and creatively disrupt. And I'll be honest with you, from where I stand, and the conversations I see these people have, and then the impact I see I, uh, that they have when they move out, I, I couldn't be proud. I'm, I don't want to be funny, but I'm like a dad to some of these. You know, I just can't believe seeing how they've grown and they've gone out and they're running around on their own. It's beautiful. That really is a beautiful thing. That's how sweet to have this person. Need, he needed his people. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the... The amazing things when you are when you surround yourself by the right people, how that it makes you feel, how it makes you grow. It's so important. And not everybody has that. The fact no. that you created that is that's a wonderful thing. Um, we have a mutual friend in common, Lisa Kipps Brown. She says she's attended four of your speakeasies. <laughs> and she was so sad that she couldn't attend this last one. But that just proves right there what what you've created and oh my gosh well we also you've got to be fair the the way i look at it my speakeasies are also your toolkit so we never repeat the speakers mm -hmm. never so every time it's something different it's a different perspective it's a different angle it's a different idea we do that every single time so you're collecting all of this information you may not need it at the moment but then it's in your toolkit. And then when it comes around, you can go, well, hang on a minute. I had this from an industry leader, a rock star, an icon, and that's how they focus. Great. And then because they're part of my speakeasy tribe, they can contact me and I can go over with it or I can make the introduction or I could, you know, funnel them down that way to get more information on what that person had. Wow. So how do you choose the locations? Are they very... Well, I'm sure they're very specific, but they've been in Arizona. They've been in San Diego. And where else have they been? Oh, God. We've done San Francisco, Reno, oh. New York, um, oh Los Angeles, uh, Carlsbad. Um, we've got uh, we got different ones uh, lined up, but the next one is San Diego. The way that we do it is, again, just like the speakers, we don't repeat location. Mm -hmm. Now, that's going to be pretty tough because say I'm saying New York and L.A. are so <laughs> pinnacle that I wouldn't be surprised if we end up repeating one of those locations again. Um, but the way we look at it is we just want to turn up at a different place with different people. So what I try to do, like when we did San Francisco, we did the whole theme around Silicon Valley, how technology works for you, not against you, and how mm. it's not there to remove you. It's there to amplify you. Mm. Um, when we did Los Angeles, we did it all around entertainment. How to entertain your clients so as to engage them, you know? Um, wow. So we try to find the location and then try to find something about that location 
that becomes pinnacle. Now, when we did it in Reno, and I'm always hesitant to tell you the story about Reno, <laughs> but when we did Reno, uh, that was the riskiest event I've ever done. Will never be repeated. But in the morning, I actually took uh, my guests for a private tour of the Gigafactory, um, Elon Musk's the largest single building. And we had one of the seniors of Elon's team lead us around while they discussed why they were focused on the weakest link of any new electronic uh, um, vehicle, which is the battery. Okay. They were focused on the battery. Um, so they were going through, and they even have, they have departments called dreamers where you're told to just go and dream the ridiculous, dream the stupid, okay? So they have that. They want people to dream. How many times at school were you told, stop daydreaming, you know? <laughs> the There's actual positions now in the planet for you that you, you have to daydream, you know? <laughs> How ridiculous is that? So we actually met up with them, and this was the newest industry in the planet, okay? And then what I did in the afternoon was I took everyone to, wait for it, a brothel. I took everyone to the world-famous Bunny Ranch brothel in Reno to meet the girls of the oldest industry in the world. So in one day, we went from the newest to the oldest, but the girls we had conversations with about the art of communication, body language, eye contact, because what really shocked me very, very quickly was a good 50% of the girls never, ever had sex with the people that they had uh, been engaged with, okay? Because the guys went there because guys nine times out of 10 are scared of being rejected. They won't go up to someone in a bar because they don't want to look stupid. There's a great deal of tension there, okay? Mm -hmm. You remove that element of rejection, now they can have a conversation with the opposite sex, okay? So a lot of the guys were paying these girls to literally sit on the bed, watch TV, and have a conversation. Oh, wow. See, now, today, they say freedom of speech, but we're being, we're being brought up on how ignorant we've been in the past. We're being brought up to things which are, 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 are um, microaggressive. We're actually, since, since the start of the Me Too campaign, we're terrified to talk now. You know, we're scared to say, I see a, a young lady in the street and I may know her, but I can't turn around and say, you look beautiful today. Because she could turn around and she could say, I didn't ask for your opinion. You know, I'm not here to be viewed on. You know, we could suddenly, within a, within a heartbeat, fall into that, you know? And all of a sudden, I'm being looked at as like a pervert, you know, because I commented on the dress. There are certain things that, that we're scared to say now. So what do we do? We don't say anything. The art of communication, I'm telling you, is now becoming as a bigger problem as global warming. We're scared to talk. Okay, I think we should talk more. More, I think if there's something that Black Lives Matter, we need to talk about it more. We need to understand things, you know, mm -hmm. sexism, racism. We need to now is the time we need to talk more, not less. And we're getting fearful. We're also getting fearful of the soundbite. I guarantee you, you could take something I've said 
in this conversation, strip the context of the beginning and the end and just have that middle bit and I could come out sounding whatever. Mm. So we're terrified of that soundbite. We're terrified of the photographs that we posted from 10 years ago, okay? Because when we maybe weren't, weren't socially aware or something, or, or woke or whatever you want to bloody call it, <laughs> but we're terrified of those pictures and we're terrified of making a comment. And anyone that's got any kind of platform um, is scared to talk. Uh, for the record, I'm not. Um, but I believe that we should have that. So when I brought people into the brothel, it was supposed to shock them. 60% of the attendees at the time, by the way, including Lisa, uh, were female, okay? And I was very concerned about taking them into a brothel, and it was very, very quiet when I took them in there. I can assure you of that. But very quickly, it kind of like warmed up, and I, I actually think it was a very, very good time. It confronted your perception of women in the trade, but then also the knowledge that these women gave you on uh, body language, communication, and you know how many people would paid them for company. You know wow. we're in a world now where people are paying paying people for company. You know not sex for company, for right. friendship. That's a bit upset, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, it was a risky one. We never repeat them. So don't worry. If anyone's signing up, I'm not going to drag you into a brothel. <laughs> but I guarantee you of this, I will challenge your perspectives. I will get you uncomfortable. I will reveal how you're making mistakes. And then at the end of the speakeasy, spit you out to be more impactful. That's really creative. The, the thought process that you put into these is just like it's I'm speechless because who would have thought? Who would have thought how much you can learn? And again, our perception, because we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. So to put in that, to be put in that situation, I'm sure they learned a lot. That's yep. that's amazing. Well, sir, that's all we have for today. And I appreciate all the all the information and into Speakeasy and why you choose to work with the smaller entrepreneurs and all the impact that you have on them. So until next time, thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Truths We Hide podcast, created and founded by your host, Annette, the founder of a wild ride call life. Also a big thank you to all of our sponsors for each and every episode that is aired. We have so much support from them and all of our listeners. You can find more information at www.awildridecalllife.com.